Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hewlett-Packard Q4 2008 Earnings Conference Call. My name is Antoine, and I will be your operator for today. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. We will conduct a question and answer session towards the end of this conference, at which time you may participate by pressing star followed by one on your touchstone telephone. If at any time during the call you require assistance, please press star followed by zero, and an operator will be happy to assist you. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Jim Burns, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please proceed, sir. Thanks, Antoine, and good afternoon. Welcome to our fourth quarter earnings conference call with Chairman and CEO Mark Hurd and CFO Kathy Lefjack. This call is being webcast live, and a replay of the webcast will be available shortly after the call for approximately one year. Some information provided during this call may include forward-looking statements that are based on certain assumptions and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actual future results may vary materially. Please refer to the risks described in HP's SEC reports, including our third quarter Form 10-Q. The financial information discussed in connection with this call, including tax-related items, reflects estimates based on information available at this time and could differ materially from the amounts ultimately reported in HP's 2008 Form 10-K. Earnings, operating margins, and similar items at the company level are sometimes expressed on a non-GAAP basis and have been adjusted to exclude certain items, including amortization of purchase intangibles, restructuring charges, and acquisition-related charges. The comparable GAAP financial information and a reconciliation of non-GAAP amounts to GAAP are included in the tables in the, in the third quarter earnings slide presentation accompanying today's earnings release, both of which are available on the HP Investor Relations website at hp.com. I'll now turn the call over to Mark with a final reminder to please refrain from asking multi-part questions or clarifications during the Q&A. Well, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hewlett Packard capped off a record year by delivering another solid quarter with revenue growth of 19% and non-GAAP EPS growth of 20%. These results demonstrate our ability to execute in a challenging market. Great companies excel in tough times, and in tough times, customers turn to great companies. I'm confident HP's ability to gain share, expand earnings, and emerge from the current environment as a stronger force in the marketplace. In Q4, we continue to benefit from our global reach, broad portfolio of products and services, and numerous cost initiatives. We believe we held or gained share in each of our segments while continuing to show discipline in our pricing and promotions. Software, HP services, notebooks, blades, and storage each posted double-digit revenue growth, highlighting both our market-leading technology and improved execution. I'm especially pleased with the results of our services segment and the solid performance in technology services and in HP outsourcing. Technology services grew orders and revenue double digits for the year, and the HP outsourcing business had its best quarter in history with strong revenue growth, record profitability, and significant new wins. The EDS integration is at or ahead of the operational plans we shared with you in September, and customer response to the acquisition remains very positive. Before I turn the call over to Kathy to review the financials, let me highlight three reasons I'm confident in HP's outlook despite the macroeconomic challenges. First, our cost structure. Our company is leaner and more flexible than ever, and yet we still have more work to do, which is actually good news. As we've said many times before, regardless of the macro conditions, we are eliminating all costs that are not core to the company's success. In 2009, excluding currency impact, we expect to save more than $1 billion year over year through the previously announced initiatives relating to EDS and HP's corporate overhead. We expect additional savings through numerous initiatives in each of our segments, and we will be tightening discretionary spending given the environment. Second, our business mix. 
We have approximately one-third of our revenue and well over half of our profits from recurring sources like services and supplies. Although not immune to economic factors, the future performance of these businesses is largely determined by the quality and scale of our customer install base. Lastly, our execution. We've worked hard and invested heavily to improve the quality of our planning and the consistency of our performance. We now run the company on 65% fewer applications and a modernized infrastructure which not only reduces our cost, but provides a simpler platform on which we can innovate and improve our business productivity. And this is a big deal for us. While we still have many areas where we can improve, our financial and operational discipline is a competitive advantage in all market environments and especially in challenging ones. The market is getting tougher and less predictable. That said, an environment like this provides an opening for a company like HP to improve its competitive position, and we have every intention of taking advantage of that opportunity. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kathy. Thanks, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. I've got a lot of ground to cover, so let me start by outlining the topics for today. First, I'll review HP's overall and business segment performance. Then I'll cover the impact of the restructuring activities on the P&L and balance sheet before moving on to cash management. I'll conclude with a discussion of our outlook for the first quarter and the full fiscal 2009. As a result of the closing of the acquisition of EDS on August 26, HP's Q4 fiscal 2008 results include roughly two months of EDS's financial results. Thus, I will also provide comparisons relative to HP, excluding EDS, to facilitate year-over-year -year comparisons. Let me get started. Revenue for the fourth quarter totaled $33.6 billion, up 19% year-over-year, or up 16% in constant currency. Excluding the impact of EDS, revenue increased 5% or 2% in constant currency. Looking at revenue by geography, we generated 68% of our total revenue from outside the United States. Revenue in EMEA was up 22%. The Americas increased 17%, and Asia-Pacific increased 14%. Excluding EDS and the effects of currency, EMEA was up 3%. The Americas was approximately flat, and Asia-Pacific increased 6%. Fourth quarter gross margin for the total company was 22.9%, down 180 basis points from 24.7% one year ago. This decrease in gross margin was driven primarily by the addition of EDS, which reduced gross margins by 140 basis points, and to a lesser extent, by a more normalized impact from commodity pricing compared with a year ago. Non-GAAP operating expenses for the quarter were $4.3 billion, or 12.8% of revenue, down two percentage points from a year ago. Adjusting for currency and the EDS acquisition, total expense dollars also declined due to the continued expense discipline, even as we invested appropriately in R&D, go-to-market, and customer support. Non-GAAP operating profit increased 21% to $3.4 billion, or 10.1% of revenue, and non-GAAP EPS was $1.03, representing a 20% increase from the prior year quarter. GAAP EPS increased 4% to $0.84, cents, which included $482 million, or $0.19 cents per share, in after-tax adjustments, primarily due to the amortization of purchase intangibles and restructuring charges that were excluded from our non-GAAP results. Looking at the performance by business segment, personal systems grew revenue 10%, or over $1 billion, to $11.2 billion. 
During the quarter, unit shipments grew 19% over the prior year period, with double-digit unit growth in every region, as well as our consumer and commercial businesses. Growth in PSG continues to be driven by growth in notebooks and emerging geographies. Notebook revenue grew 21%, and PC revenue in the BRIC countries grew 29%. Our innovative product portfolio, combined with over 80,000 retail outlets and 140,000 distribution partners around the globe, give us a sustainable, competitive advantage. PSG operating profit for the quarter was $616 million, or 5.5% of revenue, down 30 basis points versus the prior year, reflecting a more normalized impact from commodity pricing. Over the last five years, our personal systems team has made tremendous progress toward a more flexible cost structure by streamlining its operations, leveraging its scale, and building a more nimble organization. At the same time, they have invested in design and technology, bringing to market a collection of innovative new products. This has enabled them to effectively balance profit and growth and positions them well for continued market leadership. Imaging and Printing reported revenue of $7.5 billion, down 1% year-on-year. For the quarter, supplies revenue growth of 9% was offset by declines in commercial and consumer hardware revenue of 10 and 21% respectively. Excluding cameras, consumer hardware revenue declined 15%. Segment operating margin increased 100 basis points to 15.5% as strong supplies growth and cost reductions were partially offset by discounting. We gained share in calendar Q3 while total printer units were down 8% and consumer and commercial printer hardware units declined 8 and 9% respectively. That said, we saw solid performance in key focus segments. In particular, multifunction printer units grew 25%, wireless printers increased 64%, and we gained market share in the over $80 inkjet printer segment. Within PSG, I'm sorry, within IPG, we are focused on reducing our costs with ongoing initiatives to improve supply chain efficiency and lower product costs. We are investing these savings in targeted growth areas, including the enterprise and graphic arts. We will continue to be prudent in our pursuit of lower end units, as well as focused on driving profitable growth and positioning ourselves for the long term. Enterprise storage and server. Revenue was $5.1 billion, down 1% year-over-year. Blades continue to be a strong growth driver. Total ESS blade revenue increased 43%. Within ESS, storage revenue grew 13%, driven by our mid-range EVA business, which outpaced major competitors with 16% growth. Turning to our server businesses, business critical systems revenue declined 10% and industry standard server revenue declined 3% from the prior year. Total ISS units increased 7%, led by strong blade growth of 39%. ISS grew its market share two points to 35% while maintaining good profitability. Enterprise storage and, ser and servers posted solid fourth quarter operating profit of $705 million, or 13.9% of revenue. Revenue in HP software grew 13% to $855 million. BTO outgrew its primary competitors, increasing 15% from the prior year as large enterprise customers 
increasingly deploy our management and automation tools to more effectively enhance the value of their IT investments. Other software, which includes OpenCall, business intelligence, and information management, grew 1% as the strength in the information management business was offset by declines in OpenCall. In Q4, software posted operating profit of $195 million, or 22.8% of revenue. For the full year, the software business more than doubled its operating profit to $461 million, up from $221 million in fiscal 2007. HP Services, with the addition of EDS, doubled its revenue to $8.6 billion and reported solid operating profit of $920 million, or 10.6% of revenue. Excluding EDS, HP Services capped off the year with another strong quarter, delivering revenue growth of 10%, with 15% growth in outsourced services, 10% growth in technology services, and 2% growth in consulting and integration. For the period between the August 26th acquisition date and October 31st, EDS delivered revenue of $3.9 billion. EDS performed well as customers across all regions continue to respond favorably to the combined services business. Demand remains solid with a healthy mix of new and existing customers. From an integration perspective, we are on track with our plans as we begin to capture the cost synergies we discussed at our September analyst meeting. During the fourth quarter, we eliminated over 2,300 positions in connection with the EDS integration. Technology services has delivered strong results throughout fiscal 2008, reflecting continued focus on services attached, combined with operational improvements from our ongoing efficiency initiatives. HP Outsource Services and CNI showed consistent profit improvement as the year progressed. While we have more work to do, these improvements put us in a much stronger position to successfully integrate our HP Services businesses and EDS and realize the synergies of the combined company. And finally, HP Financial Services had revenue of $691 million, up 5% year-over-year, and generated operating margin of 7.4%. We continue to apply the same rigorous process for assessing the creditworthiness of our customers and the quality of our receivables. We are encouraged with the growth in our financing volume. The overall portfolio is performing well, consistent with the past few years. Now I'd like to spend a moment to update you on the impact of the restructuring program implemented in connection with the EDS integration. In Q4, we took a $251 million charge in our GAAP P&L and another $1.5 billion purchase accounting adjustment to Goodwill on our balance sheet. The cash impact associated with the Q4 charges will be spread over roughly the next two years as the actual headcount reductions occur. We expect the additional restructuring charges of approximately $150 million for fiscal 2009 and approximately $130 million in fiscal 2010 and beyond. Now on to the balance sheet and cash management. Day sales outstanding increased to 45 days in Q4 from 43 days one year ago. Excluding EDS, DSO was down two days year-on-year year to 41 days. Days payable was 49 days down one day year-over-year. Year. Excluding EDS, days payable was up four days year-on-year year to 54 days. One of my focus areas since becoming CFO has been improving our management of the balance sheet. 
Over the last two years, excluding EDS, total inventory dollars are down despite nearly $23 billion of revenue growth. For the fourth quarter, owned inventory was 27 days. Excluding EDS, days of inventory was down three days to 31 days. With regards to channel inventory, we ended the quarter with ESS flat, IPG up a week, half a week, and PSG up a week year over year. Next, property, plant, and equipment was up $3 billion year over year as a result of the EDS acquisition, with $1.1 billion of land and building and $2.1 billion of equipment primarily related to EDS's data centers. Gross CapEx was $1 billion, up 26% from the prior year period. On a net basis, CapEx was $870 million, up 16% year over year. Increased capital expenditures were primarily related to growth in our leasing and outsourcing businesses, including EDS. Cash flow from operations was $3.3 billion for the quarter, and free cash flow was $2.4 billion. Share repurchases in the fourth quarter totaled $1.9 billion, or approximately 45 million shares. At the end of the quarter, we had roughly $9.1 billion remaining in the current share repurchase authorization. Finally, we paid our normal quarterly dividend, totaling $196 million. For the full year, cash flow from operations was a record $14.6 billion, up 52% from fiscal 2007, and free cash flow was $12 billion, up 68% from the prior year. During fiscal 2008, we returned $10.4 billion to shareholders through share repurchases and dividends and invested $11.2 billion of net cash in acquisitions. We closed the year with a strong balance sheet, including total gross cash of $10.3 billion. Our total debt at October 31st was $17.9 billion, including $7.4 billion associated with HP Financial Services and $7.1 billion in commercial paper. We funded the EDS acquisition through a combination of cash and commercial paper. Given our strong rating, we have had no problem accessing the CP markets, and the interest rates on commercial paper have been substantially more attractive than rates on long-term corporate bonds. Our commercial paper program is backed by approximately $14 billion of committed lines of credit, the majority of which are from banks that have AA- ratings or better. Additionally, we have signed up for the U.S. Government Commercial Paper Funding Facility, which provides us access up to approximately $10 billion of commercial paper with 90-day maturity. We are maintaining the flexibility to term out our debt and will likely do so at some point. Despite seasonal softness in Q1, we are expecting another solid year of cash flow in 2009. Now, looking ahead to our outlook for Q1 and fiscal 2009. We don't know how the economy will evolve, but at this point we are expecting the market to be challenging in 2009, particularly for discretionary IT spending. As a result, we are trimming our revenue outlook relative to typical seasonality. In addition, the dollar has strengthened significantly since our last earnings call, and thus at current currency exchange rates, we expect to have a year-over-year unfavorable impact on revenue going forward of approximately five points in Q1 and roughly six to seven points for the full year. Offsetting these impacts will be the positive revenue contribution of EDS. Taking into consideration the current economic climate, the stronger dollar, and the impact of EDS, we expect 2009 revenue of approximately 32 to 
$32.5 billion in the first quarter and approximately 127.5 to $130 billion for the full year. Regarding earnings, here are a few variables to keep in mind. Given the P&L characteristics of EDS, we expect the acquisition to have a negative impact on gross margin and a positive impact on OPEX as a percentage of revenue. As we move through the next two years, the cost structure improvements that we are making in that business will improve both of these metrics with the majority of the benefit occurring in gross margin. With regards to costs, as Mark mentioned, it is our plan to cut over $1 billion on a constant currency basis from our cost structure in 2009. Given the current macroeconomic environment for fiscal 2009, we are implementing a number of additional expense control initiatives to ensure that we are well positioned for continued success. A few of these actions are decreasing travel, curtailing hiring, and extending our scheduled holiday shutdown at certain sites. While we will launch appropriate expense management initiatives given the current climate, we will at the same time be making some focused investments that we believe will accelerate our competitiveness in the long run. Due to a decline in pension asset values, we ended the year with pensions that, in aggregate, are approximately $2 billion underfunded. As a result, we expect to incur an incremental pension expense of approximately $0.06, cents, or roughly $0.1.5 cents per quarter. We expect total after-tax amortization of purchase intangibles to be approximately $0.50 cents per share in fiscal 2009. With regard to OINE, we now expect total expense of approximately $0.05 cents in the first quarter and $0.18 cents for the full year. We expect the tax rate for fiscal 2009 to be approximately 21%. Finally, we expect to continue to repurchase shares in the coming quarters with a modest decline in weighted average shares outstanding. With that in mind, we expect Q109 non-GAAP EPS in the range of $0.93 to $0.95 cents and full-year 2009 non-GAAP EPS of approximately $3.88 to $4.03. With that, we'll open up the call now for your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to withdraw your question, press star followed by two. Questions will be taken in the order they are received. Please press star followed by one to begin. Your first question comes from line of Ben Rice with Barclays Capital. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks a lot, Mark and Kathy. Um, with regard to channel inventory, you mentioned that PSG and IPG, I believe, were up half a week um, year over year. Just, you know, with the current slowdown in the environment and whatnot, are, are you comfortable with that? Is a half a week up year over year, you know, in this environment actually even more? And uh, how, how are you managing channel inventory to make sure you hit your numbers? Thanks. Thanks, Ben. So all that's included in our estimates that we uh, that we gave you. Are we uh, concerned about it? I guess we'd rather not have it. But at the same time, we had a little softening of sellout at the end of uh, October, which causes a bit of equational problems in the way you calculate the the channel inventory. But uh, no, we feel comfortable. We feel it's all inside our estimates and. Um, um, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, Ben. So you calculated on a forward basis. We do well because you look at what you do at the end. It's a bit of a complicated equation. But what happens is if there's a little softening of the sellout at the end, it, it causes a little bit of the equation. So it, it, it it's different. I'm trying to make this less complicated. Um, 
you can wind up in a situation where even though it shows up half a week, the dollar calculation is less if it happens to be because of a sellout change in the way the equation works. That's sort of the way our model works, so it's sensitive to that. So in dollars, it isn't as big as you might think given the half a day. That's really the point, Ben. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Richard Gardner with Citigroup. Please proceed with your question. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, just a quickie, I was hoping that you could give us a sense, uh, uh, Kathy and Mark, of the market's reception to the price increase on supplies that you put through in July and August. Well, certainly one, one way to um, answer that question is to talk a little bit about the fact that we did have 9% uh, supplies growth this quarter, and, and there are roughly two points of that growth came from price increases. A little bit of the two points is due to channel fill in advance of uh, the, you know, the effective date of uh, the price increase. But the reality is for Q4, we only had one month, October, and that was only in countries where we sell supplies in U.S. dollars that actually had the price cre increase in it. Yeah, I mean, I think, Richard, at the end of the day, right, when you get – the kind of growth rate we've had in supplies, you know, our costs have gone up, uh, you know, as, uh, as everybody's has, and we, we, we passed it through in the price increase, and uh, we had uh, we had strong revenue um, in the quarter in relationship to supplies, so I think uh, overall pretty good uh, pretty good uh, uh, numbers, so, and very little, uh, you know, no negative reaction out of the channel that, uh, that, that I'm aware of uh, at all. Okay, it's probably a little early, early to tell, but uh, nothing that concerns you uh, about customers potentially moving more toward toward remands or third-party You know, Richard, it's an interesting question because I would tell you that over the past two or three years, that was a big issue, say, when I came to HP several years ago. Uh, I would tell you that we've consistently been gaining share relative to the, to the aftermarket over the past uh, – Several years. Our actual biggest issue right now in supplies is counterfeiting. So, if you ask us what keeps Kathy and I awake at night in the supplies market share, counterfeit way outweighs. Um, and we're doing a lot to combat it. We had probably one of our best years from a counterfeiting or an anti-counterfeiting. That's probably the right way to describe it. Uh, effort, but uh, that's a much bigger issue to us than, than, than the remand. But no, we haven't seen any effects of that uh, at the current time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Tony Sakonagi with Stanford Bernstein. Please proceed with your question. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Mark and Kathy, if, if I look at your guidance, uh, you're calling for about 0% revenue growth at constant currency uh, XEDS. Uh, you did about 5% in 08. You did about 2% in Q4. So it, it does seem to factor in an economy that's certainly not getting any better, maybe at the margin getting a little bit worse. Um, but you yourselves, I think, said, look, we're not economists. We don't really know what the economy will do. Uh, the question is, let's say that the IT spending environment turns out to be two or three points worse than you have budgeted. Are you still confident in the EPS range that you gave? Will you be able to cut incremental costs so that you can still hit that range, say, if, if IT spending is two or three points worse than you forecast? So, Tony, I'm not going to get you into a per-point basis, but, but let me say this. I understand your question. First of all, I think your numbers are 
because um, I often tell you when I think they're not, and your numbers, are, I think, are exactly right with what you're describing. And yes, um, you know, we, we certainly can sustain some, some different answer than the one we've given because we've got a lot of variability now in our cost model. Um, I won't take you down to what if it's two points less or three points less or four points less, but certainly um, we, we have some resiliency in our capability to still hit those numbers, and uh, we wouldn't have given them out if we didn't think we could, uh, we could hit them. And I think suffice to say we are more confident on the bottom line than we are on the top line. And, you know, we're not going to, Tony, I'll just give more color to it, um, just to make the top line, we're not going to run around and take bad deals. Um, and there are plenty of those <laughs> in the marketplace. So unless a, unless a situation for us has a real long-term or aftermarket benefit for us that's, that's long-term good for the company, uh, we probably aren't going to go spend a bunch of time chasing it. Uh, that said, um, you know, we've done a lot of cost things to, to buttress the bottom line. So we are more confident in the bottom than we are the top, and we could sustain some different answer on the top and still hit those estimates we did. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. In IPG, what's happening to the installed base in, in consumer and commercial hardware in light of the unit declines, and how do you see replacement cycles and supplies consumption trending next year given the tougher economy? It just seems like maybe your earnings guidance for next for FY09 incorporates IPG margins that are above your long-term model. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, Brian, to your point, install base is staying installed longer. I mean, that's clearly what's going on, and you can see us gaining share. We believe our install base is, um, you know, sort of depending on what country and what segment and what price category, um, we believe we're doing quite well. Certainly you're seeing a trend towards wireless in the home, which in some cases has fewer units um, doing just as much printing as the home used to. So for us, that's not necessarily a bad answer. We sort of like the answer where we can sell less hardware to effectively print as much as the ecosystem has been printing. So again, for us, we have to be cautious here because when we get too aggressive on price, in many cases, we're accelerating the, um, the movement of our own installed base. And as I know you know, Brian, the reason we put the installed base out there is to print. So for us, um, lower unit growth is not necessarily bad unless it means we're losing share. So we look at the quarter and we look at it as we gained share in the quarter. We look at install bases being installed longer. We look at the growth we've described in, in wireless printers, which is again is a very strategic segment to us, as again being material. And so, uh, you know, as a result, I, I can't tell you I like the answer, but, but in the end, it's not necessarily, Brian, to us a bad answer with the dynamics we're seeing today. In fact, Brian, in, if, as long as people continue to print on HP printers so that we have a healthy installed base, having them hold on to their printers longer and delay upgrading is actually positive for earnings for us. They're buying the same amount of supplies, and we're not having to make that kind of next investment in terms of placing a, a hardware unit that's either at a negative mar margin or at a very low margin. So that's why, and to Kathy's point, it's a little different in a mature market than it is in a new growth market. So for us, we look very hard at where the new printing infrastructure is going versus where the existing market is going, where the existing market is a replacement market, and the, new, and the emerging market may be a brand-new infrastructure market. So that's why for us... Uh, 
I won't take you through a lot of complexity, which is our job not to do that. Um, but we actually like in the mature markets the answers that we're seeing, to Kathy's point. We're having to invest less money to be able to get the same printing done. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Katie Huberty with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Yes, thanks. R&D expenses at the lowest level over the last six or seven years. Which product segments did it come down the most in the quarter, and is the new level sustainable? So R&D came down in kind of two, two segments. Um, certainly came down in IPG. And what we're doing in the IPG area is, frankly, we're not really driving to a lower number explicitly. What we're looking at is getting rid of all of the favorite science projects that are going on and making sure that every dollar is being very well spent in IPG. And as a result, it did, it did come down. Um, and then also we're making conscious efforts in the enterprise storage and server space around OPEX in general, but specifically in R&D, to make sure that we've got the right cost structure for a more industry standard server uh, segment. So, and I think, Katie, your point, yeah, I think the current level is is sustainable. And R&D is like, you know, it's many different dimensions inside R&D. And so when we talk about cost initiatives, just to give you an example, you have to separate R&D into true innovation R&D and into maintenance R&D. And when you go look at maintenance R&D, for example, Kathy brought up uh, IPG. One thing you have to do in IPG is understand how much R&D you're spending just to keep different SKUs alive, numbers of different pieces of firmware that you put, all testing, regression analysis work. All the categories I'm describing to you would be determined to be maintenance R&D streams, different from inventing a new product that's going to change the market. So you've got to be very cautious when you look at an aggregate number like R&D because it breaks out into many segments. We're trying to reduce the non-value-add parts of R&D and increase the value-add parts of R&D. And that's, to your point, a separate issue than mix. So, yes, we think it's sustainable, but we are trying within the R&D envelope to increase our amount of innovation R&D while bringing total R&D, in some cases, down. So I wouldn't want you to come away from that point that Kathy brought, that we're trying to reduce R&D. We're trying to reduce bad R&D or non-value R&D. Same thing goes on in software, for example, where we've bought many companies. And when you buy those companies, every company had their own development environment. They had their own development tools. They had their own quality testing. And so as a result, when you add those up across multiple acquisitions, the team in software has had to take out multiple pieces of this maintenance infrastructure so we could spend more money on VTO innovation. That might cause R&D aggregate dollars to go down, but the innovation percent of the new R&D is up. So that's what we're trying to get done. Got it. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from out of Bill Shope with Credit Suisse. Please proceed with your question. Hey, great. Thanks. Uh, Mark, I was wondering if we could get your, uh, your updated views on the netbook market and how you think it may impact the PS Street G strategy in 09 and, and over the longer term, uh, whether or not <clears throat> potentially in the near term this could be a material contributor to Uniqlo. I don't know in the short term, Bill, that I would call it material. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have to see.
see how how it how it comes out because there's at least a couple dimensions to it. You know, one, uh, we've got to look at the market. Is it really an incremental market? Our early tests show that parts of the market are incremental, uh, which is good news. There's no doubt there'll be some blending of it though between incremental and 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 being somewhat of a of a of a cannibalization of existing markets. And we're not exactly sure on the margin how those will 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 line up. Uh, adoption has been okay, and we're obviously coming out with some pretty – we've released a, a, a string of products that we're very excited about that we think will do well. As you probably know, in the early part of the year when we released our first netbook product, we sold out as quick as we announced it. So, uh, But I, I think it's still too early for us to give you enough definition and enough specifics to be able to give you the answer to that. I would not call it material in the in the short term. But we'll see how it goes over the next several quarters, and we're pretty excited about our lineup of products in that in that area. Okay, great, thanks. Thanks, Bill. Your next question comes from the line of David Bailey with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Great, thank you. Um, on the PC side, Intel has a pretty dire outlook for PCs in the final calendar quarter of the year. Is HP seeing something meaningfully different from what Intel is on, from a demand perspective? Uh, and if so, what do you think is causing the disconnect? Well, Intel doesn't show their stuff to us, so um, I, I don't know. Um, I know what, what, what they reported, and I know what they said about October um, uh, in the public markets. And, um, y you know, we, we saw some things that, to be, to be very blunt, David, were just different in, in, in our numbers. And that's why I always caution, David, when you people ask us for macro commentary, and all, all we know is what we're seeing. And in some cases, I would tell you, we... We did not know our share numbers would come out as strong as they have, to be to be very open with you. And we've seen that over the past uh, several days. I think if you look at the, the netbook market that Bill ref was referencing earlier, if you take the netbook market out of the PC market, you're going to see a pretty strong share position for, for HP. If you look at what's happened in industry standard servers, we, we obviously gained share there. We did very strong in the storage business, which isn't directly related to Intel. But so... You know, David, I, I can't specifically answer that to you, although we are aware of what they're seeing um, and we are aware of what Microsoft is seeing, and all I can say is we'll do, we'll do our best to be as competitive as we can be given the market that we get, are given and given the uh, uh, competitive position that we bring to the market. Thank you. Thanks, David. Your next question comes from line of Keith Buckman with Bank of Montreal. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, hi guys, thanks. Kathy, in your prepared remarks, you indicated you thought cash flow or free cash flow for 09 would be very strong. I was hoping to pin you down a little bit to see if you could give us some thoughts on what you thought free cash flow targets would be for HP for 09. Thanks. Let me give you some puts and takes. I'm not going to give you kind of an overall number. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, working capital. Um, if you look at working capital and how we ended um, the, this quarter, we ended actually very strong. You've got to take out, by the way, you've got to take out the EDS impact, which is about five days negative on the cash conversion cycle. So right. the cash conversion cycle for us pre-EDS is uh, 18 days. In that number, um, looking out into next year, I look at inventory, and we've made great progress on inventory. Do I think there's a little bit more to be done there? Yes, I do think there's a little bit more to be done there. I think on the AP side, we've made good progress over the last couple of quarters, and I think there's some room to improve in that number. Where I think we've got a headwind is more in the accounts receivable, and it's really the 
you know, the uncertainty that we have if, as we look out into 09 around, um, you know, liquidity, whether or not channel partners will take the cash discount or not take the cash discount, and obviously also then the layering on of EDS that brings with it an enterprise customer base that um, typically pays on uh, longer terms. So I think those are the, the kind of puts and takes that I think you need to think about with respect to um, working capital. And then with respect to, to CapEx, there's really two ways we look at um, CapEx. We look at it kind of the investments that we make in the infrastructure and the bulk of those investments of the last two or three years have been investments to save. Right. Those, are, those are flattening out. And then the other context, of course, is are the OPEX, I'm sorry, the CapEx investments that we make to grow. And those are really in our leasing business as well as obviously our outsourced services business. And those, of course, we, we would expect to grow. In fact, we want them to grow. And so those are ki- kind of the ways I think about what uh, are the puts and takes for cash flow for next year. Yeah, and I think, Kate, it starts with we just got to make our operating plan. If we make our operating plan, um, the the cash conversion stuff, I mean, just, you know, Kathy's brought a tremendous operating cadence to the inventory side. And the, the good news I can tell you is that uh, we've made a lot of progress. Um, the better news is we're still messed up. Right. And, and I mean that in the context that we have some business, we have, we have a very great, we have a unique opportunity in that we can compare supply chains across various businesses. And we have some businesses that are extremely efficient, and we have other businesses that just aren't. And the working capital we have tied up in, in days of supply and owned inventory give us opportunities to improve. But at the same time, to Kathy's point, there's no question we're going to get more pressure from the channel and from our commercial customers for more DSO, the same time as we'll be pressuring on the DPO side. So, you know, I think, I think we're getting better in this area. We still have room to, to, to improve. And Kathy's point about the separation of CapEx is a key one because we look at CapEx very differently with its infrastructure build-out or, or growth. Okay. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Fittichero with Merrill Lynch. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Great, Mark. Could you talk a little bit about the big picture demand for services in this environment? We saw core HP services, XEDS, about 10%, you know, down a little bit, but mostly aligned with the last three quarters. So are you seeing any elevated levels of contract rescoping or pricing pressure? Uh, so first of all, I would tell you that the reception to the EDS deal is uh, – I've been well, you know, probably the wrong thing for me to say. I've been doing this a long time, and I would tell you that it's it's pretty strong. This is uh, on the demand side. It's just given us an opportunity to compete that we we just didn't have, and um, I think that part's very positive. We have to be disciplined about the fact that we qualify well where we go compete and not get brought into too many things at at the same time. So I think in this environment, services in many cases is countercyclical. So what you have is people trying to take cost uh, that, that could be capital and outsourcing that to somebody else so that they actually take the cost uh, for them and in some cases variableize the cost where it makes sense. So that becomes an attractive value proposition uh, for, for our customers. Um, and certainly we've done a lot of work in, in, in technology services. That's a market where our attach rate and our capture rate of the HP ecosystem meaning the existing HP hardware and infrastructure that's in the marketplace today, has simply been too low. And the opportunity for us to increase our attach rate and then through technology, the fact that we're able to now 
solve our customers' problems without a, a specific labor touch to it is a tremendous competitive opportunity for us. So technology services, I, this is not a new story, by the way, in Q4. It's been a fairly steady incline of our performance in technology services, and HP outsourcing separate from EDS has been on a path over the past three to four years, improving its cost structure, improving its customer delight, and being able to grow. And so we're we're pretty excited about the opportunity for the aggregate services business to uh, to drive a lot of value for HP. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Shannon Cross with Cross Research. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Good afternoon. Um, question with regard to the pricing environment for PCs and printers. Um, you know, you're obviously in a strong position. And Mark said you're not going to follow people down, but are you seeing much in terms of irrational pricing? And um, you know, specifically within the printer business, um, it seems as if maybe there was some pretty aggressive pricing there. And then, if I could just sneak in a second one, Kathy, can you just talk a little bit about uh, Cog's pressure from the yen as it re relates to the laser business? Okay, so let me let me hit that one first. Um, so, so the yen is definitely a headwind on the um, on the profit side for IPG. And as a result of that, I mean, that's really one of the, the primary reasons why we've increased prices in supplies is to basically adjust for the fact that uh, it's gotten a lot more expensive. And so you just see that in price increases. We've done some price increases in, in Q4, and we've got more plans in, uh, in Q1 for price increases in supplies to address that pressure. Pricing environment, I mean, I... I you know, I, I tell you that if I looked at the, the, the PC market, um, we didn't see extraordinary extraordinary changes in, in ASPs um, over the if I look over the past several quarters. So, you know, that would be the way I would describe the PC environment. Printer market, Shannon, is very different by market and by segment. So while I can give you the PC market on a more global basis, I, I'm going to try to give you a one answer because if I went to an emerging market or I went to a brick country, and I, depending on what category I go to, I, I can tell you about aggressive pricing. and I can tell you about pricing that, frankly, hasn't been that aggressive. So it's 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 sort of a, a multiple set of, of of dynamics there, and something that I probably shouldn't generalize on, other than say it it, it sort of averaged out to being. You know, an okay pricing environment, I guess, in printers, but probably more aggressive than than perhaps we'd seen sequentially. That's probably the best way I could describe it. But I wouldn't run too far with that either, because I can show you markets where there wasn't a very um, um, aggressive market. Now, it's important to note we're doing we're being aggressive on the cost side in IPG. So for us, because of some of the areas that have been mentioned earlier. We think we're in pretty good position, as you mentioned, to be able to go deal with that if appropriate. Our biggest issue is we don't want to go, we've got to look at this on a more micro sort of specific basis because we don't want to go in with a broad aggressive pricing that churns up our own install base that is already doing the printing. So it requires a degree of precision to, uh, to get this right. Senator, let me also just um, take up your question around the yen up a level because if you actually look at the total HP, the revenue that is yen-based roughly offsets the costs that are yen-based at the total company level. So we've got a nice natural hedge um, at, at the total company level. Again, that's different at the IPG level, and so as I mentioned, we increased uh, um, supplies prices to address that as well as uh, um, aggressive expense reductions. Great. Thank you. 
Your next question comes from line of Mark Moskowitz with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you. I, w- I want to get uh, back to the confidence regarding the bottom line, Mark and Kathy. Could, could you help us understand what is happening potentially with your recurring profit base? Are you seeing anything structurally different that gives you more confidence in terms of either your market share gains, some of your cost structure initiatives, either on the core business, or EDS that lends to some of your confidence up out for the next 12 months in terms of maybe a higher level of recurring profits? Certainly with uh, EDS, we have a higher level of recurring profits um, and revenue, right? I mean, that clearly adds to it. We think that roughly, I think it was in actually Mark's early remarks, that roughly a third of uh, our revenue is recurring. Um, and so that obviously gives us confi- more confidence than if we didn't have a third revenue uh, recurring. Yeah, and Mark, we break down our revenue by by business, by category, and so when we say recurring, we don't mean it's in a segment that's recurring or that's got most of its revenue recurring. We actually mean contracting. So when we, when we get down, there's a percent of our revenue that's actually just contracted where we know the answer. So we, we, we understand that piece. Obviously, we have hedges that also go into some of our businesses where we know the answer. And then we have some parts of our business where, where we don't necessarily uh, know the answer. And we have well more than half of our profits that come out of a pretty health, healthy install base. Then you get into a debate in some of our product businesses where you can get more volatility. Some of those product businesses, in some cases, actually carry negative gross margins. So in a strange way, it's actually a positive to the earnings model. It may not be the, the, the greatest long-term thing, but in, in case of, of the guidance we're giving you, it may be a uh, short-term or good thing. As we mentioned earlier about the length of the printer install base, as long as that install base stays HP and as long as people are still printing, which all the numbers tell us it is, that's actually good news for us as it relates to, to, to the models that you can go deploy. So there are a lot of dynamics, but I guess the only thing I would, would, would tell you is we, we do study this in a fair amount of detail, and, and we think we understand what the dynamics are of the various uh, components of the uh, revenue and earnings portfolio. And, Mark, i just add a couple of comments. Um, we've spent a lot of time, obviously, over the last few years to get our cost structure to be as lean as it can be, and we've still got um, opportunity in that, as we've talked about taking over a billion dollars more out of the, the cost structure. But also within that cost structure, we've also been working on making it more variable so that if revenue um, you know, doesn't perform the way we think it's going to perform, we have levers to basically um, take down our cost structure. And some of the things we've done in that context are – using more contract, um, contracted labor, you know, using a lot of uh, contract manufacturers and ODMs, moving our, our total rewards or our compensation base from not being so heavily dependent on salary and more on performance-based variable comp. So those are some of the things that we've done. We've also done a lot more in the marketing programs to take away from fixed headcounts in marketing. And we've done a lot of these across all of our segments that gives us again, some opportunity to move down if revenue isn't as we're expecting it to be. Yeah, you're probably getting more data than you wanted here, but but (laughs) it's important to note that, you know, we're still not happy where we need to be. And and, and it's taken us, you know, several years to get to this point. Do we feel better than we ever have? Yeah, we do. Do we have more work to do to get to to where we think we can get to? The answer is yes. And, And, but yet... 
we think we have it. We think we understand the decomposition, if I can use that term, of the revenue and the impact it will have across segment and earnings, and then again, what it would look like at the HP level. So, we have some resiliency. I guess that's the way to describe it. That are in the models we're describing to you. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Bill Fernley with FTN Midwest. Please proceed with your question. Yeah. Good afternoon, Mark. Uh, if I could ask another question here in IPG. Um, how should we be thinking about the balance between IPG margins and unit growth here for laser and inkjet? I mean, should we expect negative unit growth here for the near term and an operating margin target of 15, you know, 15 and a half plus? Is that reasonable for FY09? And looking here near term, you have the benefit of a really good installed base, but could others get a lot more aggressive to grow their installed base as they get more desperate and promotional to grow their units to, uh, to drive their ink annuity going forward? So I think, you know, yes, yes, and 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 maybe. Um, you know, I think, you know, to the point of do I think you're going to see negative rev- negative unit growth with the trends we're seeing, I think the answer is possibly, and, and, and it's probably more of a probable than a possible at this point. Do I think that will have an effect on IPG margins? Because there are a couple effects going on in IPG. They're getting the benefit of lower overhead costs at Hewlett-Packard. Second, they're lowering their own costs as they, they go to market. They have some unfavorability, as was mentioned earlier, with the yen that we're describing earlier. And they're getting the benefit of the install base continuing to print and not having to place as many units. So the key issue, Bill, to your earlier point, or to our earlier point, is IPG gained share in total printer units in, in the quarter and did that with lower unit growth while the install base continued to print. To your point, could somebody try to change that dynamic? The answer is sure, uh, but it's going to depend on what competitor and what segment and what market. And we'll respond uh, and try to respond within the um, degree of rationality. I guess that's probably the best way that uh, that I can describe it. Does irrationality become a near-term risk here as you face the double uh, whammy of a consumer uh, a a heavy consumer end of year here in December going into January and an end of year going for the enterprise as well? Do you think that things will get crazy? Well, we tried to blend in some of that into our model. So, you know, we can never – I'm not sure you you and I on the phone can calibrate degree of craziness if that's your turn. So I mean I don't know how to how to how to do that particularly, but I do think that what we tried to do is get variability into IPG and with that achieve some level of flexibility in IPG to get aggressive as as it would be appropriate. That said, this market has the consumer hanging on to their install base longer for the benefit of not trying to put out this or that. And frankly, the the consumer is not reacting to the couple-dollar promotion and continuing to print. So, uh, listen, could those dynamic change? That's what we're seeing right now, and and we'll have to see how that trend continues as we move forward. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Why don't we take two more questions, operator? Your next question comes from out of Maynard um, with UBS. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks. Can you just talk about the impact of uh, currency to pricing and margins in, in your PSG business internationally? And, and in particular, as your short-term hedging rolls over and given the big swings in currency, can you just talk about how much of the gross margin impact you can actually offload to either your suppliers or contract manufacturers or offset by, by raising price without impacting demand? Thanks. So, Maynard, just to clarify, you were talking about personal systems group, PSG, right? Yes. Okay. So in PSC, it's actually one of the businesses that 
um, the prices adjust fairly quickly to the strength of the dollar. And so we're, we're seeing that take place in the market now. Um, if you look at kind of the competitive uh, landscape for personal systems, it's, it's heavily um, um, driven by companies that are going to be motivated um, by dollar results. And that, of course, gives us uh, an opportunity to also increase prices and kind of flow that through the market. And, and you've seen us do that. So even with a with a twenty percent, thirty percent swing in the currency, you would be still be able to raise the uh, your prices by by that amount to offset the currency. So so we have in essence what we've really been doing is holding prices um, and not taking them down as much as we would have otherwise with the commodity decline. So effectively, it's a price increase, um, and and so far I've had had uh, no difficulty doing that. I see. Great. Thanks. I mean, I think that's a true matter, too. You can extrapolate to many of our other businesses that are on short cycle time, so to speak, where the, the pricing environment, as we've said, doesn't give us tremendous lift and it doesn't hurt us tremendously. There are other areas where you have a different effect, where you have, you know, uh, contracted backlog, for example, which is going to be uh, a different answer. You have to, if the currency goes up, we actually have to deliver at a higher cost uh, for example, if we if we take a outsourcing deal or a TS deal at a lower currency level, uh, we'll actually have to deliver at this uh, at this uh, price. So uh, there are multiple dynamics as it relates to, to 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 currency, but PSG most of it flows through pretty quick. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from line of Lou Missiosia with Cowan and Company. Please proceed with your question. Okay, thank you. Mark, can you give us uh, some idea what your conversations with customers have been, I guess, over the last couple months? I guess, obviously, September and October were crazy. Here, we're almost done with November. Does it seem like things are starting to get back to normal? Uh, obviously, the numbers that, that you just uh, printed and, and you're guiding to really suggest that maybe things aren't that bad or, as you mentioned before, maybe you guys are just gaining a ton of share. Well, I think things are different, uh, Lou. So I, I don't think things are, are 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 normal. I think people are prudent. I think they're thinking about what they what they spend money on. I mean, I'm I'm um, um, I think our guidance has been again, as was mentioned earlier, we've continued to guide down as it relates to local currency rates. We've gone to uh, what's basically, I think Tony uh, said it correctly, zero in local currency growth, and yet we have some segments that are that are growing well and some markets growing well. So, you know, we're really giving you, you know, I, we hope a fairly realistic, we think, revenue base uh, to grow on. And, no, I'm not hearing um, people all excited about spending and thinking that November is a lot better than October. Now, that said, we have a different environment than we had, say, back in 2001. We don't have the infrastructure build-out uh, that we had at that time frame. And I think people are more cognizant that at a TCO level, keeping stuff too long is not a great thing either and from a total cost perspective. In addition to that, I think the portfolio of offers that we bring to the market primarily have cost reduction at the core of what our value proposition is that we bring to IT. 
whether it's in the services segment that was brought out earlier, whether it's in the virtualization of infrastructure that's what's driving our blade uh, sales that you see, or the radical mover trying to make in storage with, if you will, bringing a more industry standard approach to storage, the left-hand acquisition that we brought, the extreme storage release that we announced, the fact that we bring the ability to have some flexibility innovation in our printing and, and PC solutions. So we feel like we're we're, we, we bring a pretty attractive portfolio that's helping the customer think through how they they lower their cost. And those are the conversations that I'm having, Lou, which is customers saying, I know I have to make some changes. What can you do to help me lower my overall cost as I do it? And that's where you're seeing traction in the marketplace today. So I would not say that you're seeing customers saying, hey, I have some extra money. Uh, how can you help me invest it? It's all about how I lower the total cost of my operation over time, and those are the conversations that uh, that we're having. And are customers able to get uh, get funding? It seems uh, obviously credit's been tight. It seems like uh, still though, uh, maybe that's not uh, affecting you all as much. Depends who the customer is, Lou. I mean, I think it depends what market you're in. I think if you get certainly if you if if I was to make a broad macroeconomic issue, certainly the moves that have been made in the CP market have been very extremely favorable. You know, you've seen you've seen liquidity return in, in, in many areas. And that has helped particularly in the in the mid market. We had some period of time, I think, in, in early October where we definitely saw some some challenging times. I don't want to tell you everything's getting great though, though. I mean I think at the time we've got some time to work through in this economy. We're certainly seeing it. Otherwise you wouldn't see us guiding sort of down on a rate basis the way we have over the past uh, uh, a couple of quarters. We do think in the context of the world that's there, we feel well positioned relative to it. Okay, thank you. I'm going to summarize from there. Listen, first, I think uh, you know we feel like we had solid market performance. We, we, we showed good financial discipline. Uh, we continued to make progress on the cost initiatives that we've, we've described. Um, I think to the last question, I think market conditions are tougher. Uh, it's possible they could worsen. Uh, we see this period as an opportunity, however, to leverage the strengths of our model, to expand our penetration in the market, and we will accelerate our cost actions. Uh, our confidence in the, is in the EPS guidance given based on our cost savings, the EDS integration, which is going well for us, and our diverse and recurring business mix. So I thank you uh, for your attendance, and uh, obviously we'll uh, look forward to talking to you all again soon. Thank you for your participation in today's conference. This concludes the presentation. You may now disconnect.